I didn't. I, I mean, I wasn't really thinking clearly. I am. Uh, I'm either coming down with the same cold that the rest mm. of my family have had, or I have a bowler. Yeah, you probably don't have a bowler. <laughs> Interesting stat that people keep tweeting that more people you're in more danger of marrying a Kardashian in America than you are of contracting a bowler, which is interesting. That seems unlikely because that they are uh, Kardashians are a uh, are uh, a fictional species from uh, Game the, of Thrones. No, from the Star Trek universe. Oh, of course they are. Yeah, with the the ones that look like fish heads. I don't know, but they're Probably. in these, But that's Admiral Ackbar. You're thinking of um, oh, it's a trap. Yeah, yeah. You're um, you're a Star Wars, yeah nerd. I'm surprised you'd make that mistake. What are they called? The Admiral Akbar's. Oh, they're um. Oh, you put me on the spot. There, uh, it's a calamari, something like that. It's are they very, actually called the Mon Calamari? That's it. Something like that. It's it's very um. It's really on the nose. Yeah, that's yeah. stupid. George I, Lucas is an idiot. In the when he was talking about the process of writing the 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 prequels. This is how utterly careless he was with it. Apparently, just let his kids name the name shit. Isn't that how he yeah. named everything? Yeah, just made. I mean, obviously, he just made it up because it's not a documentary. Yeah, but it's just he didn't care as long as he got to play with some powerful computers. He was very happy. I'm such a cynic. Oh, you're you're such a cynic. Yeah. I was the I whole time. So... The whole the minute we started mentioning George Lucas, my eyes started rolling right out of my head. I shouldn't be so hard on someone in his art. <laughs> but yeah, so the Kardashians—they're the—they're uh, the guys with—they're uh, like—they're uh, quite nasty when they first turn up. They turn up in Deep Space Nine, I think, and then they get like retrospectively. Added, oh, they're the ones with the thick necks. Got very thick necks. Yeah, and ridges all yeah. over their faces. Not like uh, Klingons who just have ridges on yeah. their forehead. The way you can tell they're yeah. proper. Bad guys is they've got ridges all over their faces. Well, not not in the original series. The the, the Klingons were smooth headed. Yes. Didn't they in Enterprise? They tried and to inscrutable. Sort, they tried to retcon that. How wasn't it like there was a, a storyline how the the Klingons lost their ridges? So like, why bother? As I as I understood it, the reason for that that I that I understood because they got their ridges in the yeah. movies didn't they yeah it was a bowler wasn't it and uh, no it they was... literally shit out their ridges no it was um that apparently the ones we'd seen up till that point yeah. were ge- uh, genetically engineered klingons who oh, were designed right. to be less cause, so that they could be like infiltrate and stuff like that that sounds like a lot of bollocks yeah but it's all i mean it's all a lot i think we've established today if nothing, yeah. if we establish nothing yeah. else on this episode, we've established that most stories yeah. are made up, yeah. are bollocks, yeah. might as well be made up by George Lucas's kids. They might as well. Maybe everything. Maybe everything is made up by George, George Lucas's kids. Um, our friend Jane, apparently her dad used to like saying, maybe life is just a dog's dream. Maybe we're all just part of George Lucas's children's imagination. Why? I always wondered about that. Why a dog's dream? Why not? Well... That implies that dogs have much more sophisticated and confusing. Like I, I, uh, I listened to a podcast recently where they were talking about. Um, it was called uh, "We Have Concerns," 
and <laughs> that uh, doesn't sound similar to any other podcasts I'm aware of. And um, and uh, uh, I don't think we, I think it's best if we don't draw attention to that. I don't James. know. I don't know what you mean. Um, and uh, and they were talking about uh, scientists and measuring intelligence mm. in animals yeah. and how it's only in the last twenty years or so that they've stopped just trying to work out how intelligent, like just judging how intelligent an animal is yeah. by human standards. Yeah. Like if an animal can run a maze yeah. or can recognize words yeah. or whatever, we assume it's more intelligent, yeah. but actually we might just be making that particular animal dumber among its own. Maybe. You know, we might be robbing it of its, its instincts. It might be the best tracking dog, mm. like the best dog at finding a uh, rotting, uh, wildlife to roll around in, yeah, which is probably you know how dogs measure intelligence. My my brown lob- Labrador, not Labrador. That's a different sort of thing. It's not a thing at all. It's a, it's a partially erect dog. Is it? Yeah, a Labrador. I she loves to roll in poo, um, but my black Labrador can't work out how to do it. She she'll basically approach some smelly poo, and then you'll see her trying to she drop one shoulder. And then drop the other shoulder, trying to work out how to roll in poo. She Does can't... she roll the rest of the time? Not really. No, she's a bit limpy as well at the moment. I'm very worried about her. Oh, that's no good. She's around somewhere. The uh, the so that might be a, a a thing of intelligence. The one who can do it might be more intelligent than the other one. Well, definitely, they say that dogs automatically um, assign roles for themselves, don't they? Whereas, like. Lois, the black Labrador, good, solid pack dog. You know, when we're out walking, she wants to work, walk with Nicky and I. Whereas every pack has a dog that goes out, basically not scouting, but checks for threats. Yeah. So when something approaches the pack, there'll be one dog that goes out. So Coda is, is that in our pack, which manifests itself in her wanting to cover her smell and running up the people and other dogs barking. Which is glorious. I think uh, that that might definitely be our yeah. little dog. Possibly. <clears throat> our our big dog likes to eat disgusting things, but would yeah. never dream of getting it on her coat. No. She's always Good. immaculate. Good. Whereas she the, the other one uh, always smells of Johnson's baby shampoo. Yeah. Because she's forever rolling in stuff. Yeah. I think we've started, James. Uh, if the sa- uh, listener... This is two grown men. Can't remember what number we're up to. Seven hundred. Yes, nine. Seven hundred and nine. Yeah. And uh, and if we sound a little bit different, that's because uh, it's Sunday morning. Yes. We're both infirm, one way or another. Yes. I have a bit of a headache, and I've just noticed that my neck, just a little twinge in my neck, that's just not a good. little twinge in my that's neck, not good. and uh, and James is mentally ill. So it's <laughs> very true. So I own it. It's fine. So and also it's Sunday morning, and we are recording at J- in James's living room. These are always. Uh, I said to my no, wife, "No, we're not. No, not living room. The uh, it's kind of open plan. I get confused. It is the dining open plan. area. This is what. Yeah, this is what we'd call the dining area. Okay, good. The dining area. Hmm. Uh, I I like recording, although the sound quality isn't always as good when we're here. It's worth mentioning yeah. that. Um, I do like recording here, as I said to my wife this morning. Mm. The thing is, I really like recording shows at, at, at James's house at the dining table yeah. because we get to uh, we get to record a podcast, but I also get to have a cup of tea. Yeah, so it's, it has a bonus, doesn't it? It's good. Did you enjoy your oh? James oh, yeah. didn't have any milk. 
We ran out of milk, and you did offer to go up to the shop, but I was like, well, my wife is buying milk. I don't want a surplus of milk in the house. And <laughs> surplus of milk? Yeah, I don't want to... Do you know, I heard a factoid uh, about calcium-bearing products that apparently I might have been on the podcast, so I'm basically cribbing other people's material. It's fine, that's what podcasts do. That, Nobody really listens to podcasts who doesn't make podcasts. I'm going to call you Factoid Jim thank for this you. episode. Thank you very much. Which is a reference to another podcast, one that I'm not sure James oh, no. listens to. Is Kevin it's Smith fine. on it? No. I don't listen to it. It's uh, it's called Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, yeah. The character Cactoid Jim uh-huh. is played by uh, Nathan Fillion. Oh, he's um, in programmes that people enjoy, but I don't watch. Yes, so I'm associating you with a very handsome man. Yeah, that's... Factoid Jim. Yeah, I've got a face for podcasting without a shadow of a doubt. So yeah, oh, let's, 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 say, let's say that... Libidos. For love. <laughs> let's um, let's just say yes, I am. But but apparently... Um, so I've got no way of checking this. This is uh, the, the evidence is, what, about sixth hand now? But apparently uh, there was a, a, a massive overproduction of cheese in America in the last century, which obviously, uh, famously, people on benefit get government cheese, <laughs> which is a way of the government buy the, the overproduced um, cheese and, and give it on to the poor people, which is good. But apparently um, that overproduction caused um, the industry to require um, various marketing tactics to increase cheese consumption in the US and I think cheese consumption in the US is very high compared to um, but it's that weird American cheese generally isn't it I've I don't never know. tasted American cheese I've not been to America since I was 7 years old it was a very long time ago oh, America visiting because of kid privilege Yeah, I've absolutely. never been to America all of my privileges but apparently it was promoted as being you know high in calcium and therefore good for you but apparently this is not true the, the calcium content is, is considerably less than milk um, and much worse for you because of the way that the, your body absorbs the fats from cheese. I so it's a lie by the American government, which is apparently what's made America so obese. Everything you just said sounded really interesting, right up until the point where my uh, brainstem yeah uh, started getting a tingle that that possibly you were suggesting that cheese might might have some flaws, and at the point that that my brainstem uh, got the inkling that you might yeah. be saying something even remotely negative about yeah. cheese. It just shut down. I didn't hear anything else you said. I'm not. Yeah, I, I've got, I don't like many cheeses. See, I, I didn't hear that at all. I'm no cheese connoisseur, but I do like a nice Mornay sauce. Is that is that called that because Rebecca de Mornay invented it? Yes. Oh, good. Okay, good. So, yeah, we're recording on Sunday. This is because for various reasons we can't record on Monday. Hmm. I can't remember what they are. I'm I'm going out. Oh, yeah, tomorrow. James. I won't be about. James is going out. He's being a social butterfly. Apparently we're going to see some heavy horses with Scarlet tomorrow because it's half term. Heavy horses? Aren't they one of those hipster bands? No, it's just some overfed horses in a field <laughs> in Dorset looking really sorry for themselves, wishing it would all end. <laughs> sounds not, so depressing. Yeah, but not really having the, the means to be able to off themselves. It's sort of quite sad. How does a horse suicide if it's in a, a field it can't get out of? There's only a sort of... I guess it tries to jump somewhere and breaks his... Or, to be fair, actually, all you've got to do as a horse is break a Break leg. your leg and then someone and some, will turn up and... Yeah. yeah, take care of it for you anyway. It's a bit like um, suicide by cop, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly like that. Yeah. Is Dave McKean local? 
I, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. Did you ask him when you went to see him? I don't. I don't think he is local. But I wondered why our particular cinema. Dave Dave McKean is an artist. He's amazing. He's also a musician and a film director. Uh, but he doesn't do as much film directing as he does arting. I think because there's more money involved. Does that make him a polymath? Uh, maybe I don't know. Or is that someone who's very good at counting parrots? <laughs> That's awful. Thank you. He's uh, he's certainly more unassuming than most of the the famous polymaths, mm-hmm. uh, by which I mean Stephen Fry. I knew you meant Stephen Fry. Uh, he's uh, he's fa- he's kind of famous. I guess he's famous really for the uh, stuff he's done in comics, uh, yes. and especially the stuff he's done with Neil Gaiman. I personally think I think I described him on the other podcast we do as. Um, as being the the reason why Neil Gaiman, so many people know about Neil Gaiman, because he really did make Neil Gaiman's first few big comic projects look good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he did a, I, there was a, a screening of his latest film at Harbour Lights, which is a local picture house cinema. It's an art house cinema, isn't yeah. it? Yes. And as I understand it, I think he's only done two. He was actually there to do a, a Q and A. A uh, little introduction before and a, a questions and answers session afterwards. Yeah, and um, I think he only did a couple of them. So I wondered if, uh, uh, and his wife and son were there. So I wondered if he's actually local to Southampton because that does happen sometimes. Well, not Southampton specifically, but to the area. Yeah, the night after he was in Liverpool, though, wasn't he? He's doing the same thing. So oh, so probably not then. Who knows? I don't know. It's a small country, really. It is quite small, but you wouldn't want to paint it. No, definitely not. But, uh, it well, was, it depends what the tool is. I mean, if I had a big enough roller, I'd be okay with it. It was to see a film called Luna, mm-hmm. uh, L-U-N-A, and um, it it was a lovely film, actually, uh, lovely and, and weird, and probably flawed. But it was one of those things where I've read a couple of reviews after it that were afterwards that were a bit negative about it. Yeah. And on the one hand, when they were so negative about it, I was like, well, I think you've... In one case, I thought, I don't know if you necessarily watched the whole film. <laughs> or uh, in another case, I thought, well, I, I think maybe you weren't in the mood for that sort of a film. But it, it sank its claws into me so deeply because of the way it looked and because of the subject matter sure. that I don't think I'm necessarily objective about it. But then, I mean, I think a lot of films are like that. You know, I, I think that if you like giant if you have an emotional resonance with uh, and connection with uh, giant um robots that transform into vehicles yeah. and uh, and and for no apparent sensible reason perform slapstick yeah and uh and, and move so fast that you can't tell yeah, what's going on and have on. an incomprehensible script yeah. uh, and plot then you'd probably feel the same way about the transformers mm. films and I don't yeah. so um, but yeah, the story, the reason I mention it, the reason I mention it here is it has some bearing on two grown men-iness. Okay. In that the, at the core of the, the film, or at least the inspiration for the film was someone, uh, uh, losing, uh, losing their child. Okay. Not losing, their child dying when it was, uh, one day old. Okay. And apparently this happened to... Uh, a friend of Dave McKean's years before and although he didn't it, it kind of he ended up talking to the father of that child um, a couple of years later and and 
basically discussing the grief and uh, the the surreal, the intense and surreal experience of it. And it stuck with him, but he didn't want to tell that. He didn't. He wanted he wanted to do something because the, it stuck with him, but he didn't want to tell that story because that was their story. So mm. it's a kind of a fictionalized version. It's kind of a fictionalized version of that story. It has lots of other elements to it as well. Um, there's a, a heavily fit. It's one of those interesting films as well. I, I think maybe because I think of Dave McKean as an artist and I've read comics by him as well, but definitely because he was there. Yeah. Two. I spent a lot of the film. There are two uh, male characters in it, both artists, and they have lots of arguments with each other. And I spent a lot of the film working out which was being a stand-in for him at, at any given time, because almost any writer writing anything puts themselves I- into into the stuff they do. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, that's kind of a given, but. In this case, that but basically the story is the couple who lost the baby, whose baby died, um, have have withdrawn from their social group almost completely, and so what we what we see at the beginning of the film is that they have been invited. They've finally decided to accept an invite to go and see an an old an old art school friend of theirs and his young young wife or girlfriend, I think wife. Um, in this very remote house that's uh, by the sea. Um, and even before the trauma of losing the child, the, even before that, you get the impression that there's that there are issues, there are fault lines in the, in the relationships between these three older people. Um, and then the younger, the, the younger woman is kind of dealing with the, like that as well. But... The artist whose house it is they're going to visit, and the film's quite cruel to him. He's referred to quite cruelly by the other characters a lot of the time. The film, the film and the characters tease him and talk about him quite negatively a lot. But it's in his house, and all of the art in the house that's by him is Dave McKean art. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, it's actual. There are actual books that Dave McKean has done the art for, sure, but with the name of that character put onto it. Um, and so it was interesting because at, at one at, for a chunk for a chunk of the film, I was trying to work out: well, is this how Dave McKean like? Is this fictionalized version? How close is this for this character supposed to be to him? He has a similar career arc, seems to have, and and stuff yeah. like that. And who is the other guy supposed to be? Is it supposed to be the friend? Is that the relationship that you know the friend who lost the child? There was a point in the film where I started to think: Are these both Dave McKean? Is it is it basically Dave McKean having are some of these conversations? Him having an argument with himself, sure. him giving himself a really hard time. Um, and so I found that. I mean, you could. It sounds like it's really indulgent, uh-huh. but like self indulgent. But um, I really like that stuff. I find that quite fascinating. So it was this. It, it was this weird mix of it was dealing with bereavement and grown up relationships between people not being any more straightforward than grow- like relationships between teenagers really sure. yeah. um and really deeply held but quiet animosity so people really having things they really dislike about each other but that aren't that that clearly haven't impacted on them being friends yeah. close friends for their entire lives but it was kind of mixed as well with this pushing and pulling between reality and fiction and 
this argument about reality and fiction. So uh, at times maybe some people might find it a bit pretentious. It was totally in my wheelhouse. But the stuff about lo- uh, the stuff about losing a child was pretty intense. Mm. Uh, I was quite grateful. I didn't go and see it with Amy, and I think that was probably the right call. But at the same time, I was quite grateful because it wasn't. It didn't ever get as intense. That side of it never quite got as intense as it could have. Sure. But what was interesting for me, from the perspective of us us on the show, was this relationship between these two men. And how they can be so... I'm not saying this is us. I'm just saying between two grown men. Are you trying to tell me something? No. Very and nervous. wow, I didn't even mean to... I didn't even mean to name the show when I just said that. Yeah. But this relationship between two adult males... Yes. I thought was handled really well. They're really different, but they're, sure. they're clearly... They, they've, they're held together... It's completely different from us, actually, because they're held together by a lifetime of experience. They've known uh-huh. each other since they were children, and and, and now they're... They're like in their forties and fifties yeah. or whatever, and um, but it's it's fascinating. And if you get the, if you get the chance to see it, it's well worth watching. Visually, it's amazing. Um, at, at times, quite obscure, but uh, more so, I think, than with Mirror Mask, which was the film that Dave McKean did with Neil Gaiman that sure. Neil Gaiman wrote before. Um, he's, I guess, modern uh, special effects techniques allow him to do a much more fluid job of mixing his art with reality if that makes sense sure. there are four really good performances at the middle of this film uh-huh. and um at some point nearly all of them have surreal moments where uh-huh. they see this is where the grief thing comes in that he really picked up on was uh-huh. that the grieving couple were saying that 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 just nothing they made connections everything seemed every item and every object and every situation seemed to hold this much deeper symbolic meaning to sure. it because i guess everything's everything's so raw that you're just taking everything in and, yeah. and and twisting it around a little bit and when the people have those moments in the film yeah you slip seamlessly into this vision of uh, these dave mckean painting style visions but yeah, real but animated, uh-huh. and it's a it's amazing visually. It's a really amazing film, and I think I don't know if I've said to you before, but one of the things that I really like, or all I really need from a film, especially a, that sort of a film, mm. a, a film that has effects in, if film shows me something that I haven't seen before sure. or that I couldn't imagine for myself, yeah. that it, looking that way, then that's all I really need. If it does it two or three times in a film. Then I'm going to go back and rewatch that film sure. often. Um, it's part of the reason why, for all its flaws, I'm okay with Prometheus and uh, and uh, a few other films like that. As long as there are a couple of moments where I'm like, "Fuck, well, okay, that was weird," or yeah. something like that, I'm I'm generally okay. I am. Um, I haven't watched all the way through X. It gave me the heebie-jeebies. Prometheus. Yeah. Well, you see, that's probably a selling point for a film. It just it was creepy. If it gives you any sort of reaction at all. That's you know, true. That's fine. The Q and A was Q and A. The questions and answers session was interesting. Did you queue? Uh, no, there was no queuing. We, uh, my friend Oki and I were actually on the same row. There weren't that many people in the did, cinema. Did you ask a queue? 
I didn't, and I really wanted to. Okay. I'm glad because the things I wanted to know kind of got answered, but I felt okay. really nervous. I felt suddenly really self-conscious. Could there be anything worse than being in an auditorium full of people, and you go up and all of your questions be, oh my my questions were the same as, uh, what's your favourite colour? It's be yeah, very yeah. difficult. So if you if you had to queue to yeah. ask your question, yeah, yeah Q and A. Does it stand for Q and ask? I think it sounds for uh, queef and anus. Okay, good. Right, so th- there weren't that many people in the cinema. Um, the guy who, uh, uh, and I'm sure all the Harbour Light staff listen, so uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I just want to preface this by saying it was very sweet, but the guy sort of comparing yeah. the screening at the beginning and, and at the end was quite young and excited and maybe a bit like enthusiastic and nervous. And so I was doing that thing of asking questions but not really taking in the the mood of the um the person asking the questions. Okay. Uh, Dave McKean I, I I guess I was quite surprised. I don't I didn't I didn't really have a sense of Dave McKean beyond that he I lo- his art's amazing. I I haven't really listened to his music, but his art's amazing, and I've really liked his comics. The 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 handful of comics I've read by him and Cages, which is the one big thing he's done, yeah, show that he's he's actually got a real uh, real way with language and with storytelling, as as well as it's not just when he works with Neil Gaiman or with yeah. uh, Grant Morrison or someone like that. He's 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 very experimental, but also very. Um, his his work's very experimental, but he his writing is very grounded. Okay. Um, and I didn't really know what he'd be like. I thought he'd be taller for some reason. Okay. And for some other reasons, because his work is so uh, singular and unusual and, and kind of, I, I hesitate to use the word, but the only word I can really think of is visionary in that it's not like... There are lots of people work. There are lots of people doing work like him now, but yeah. when he started, no, no art looked like that. You know, sure. And I know that he does lots of different things. So I think I kind of expected him to be more arrogant, not necessarily in a negative way, but I yeah. expect him to be more sort of have more self confidence. Confident, yeah. And hmm. and actually, he was just lovely. He yeah. he was just like. Um, he was very thoughtful, and he took his time before answering all the questions. Mm. You know what? Uh, uh, I, I don't know if this necessarily... This doesn't necessarily sound particularly positive, but I do mean it to. Um, whenever you saw Mel Smith being interviewed... Sure. You know how Mel Smith's uh, per, uh, persona was mm. kind of being a bit dumb and like yeah. slow-witted and maybe a bit obnoxious. Sure. But when you heard him being interviewed, he was very... He took his time hmm. uh, over everything and he was very thoughtful about everything. Yeah. Quite quiet, actually. He yeah. sounded a lot like that. I don't know if there's a regional... I don't know if they're from similar areas in their voices, sure. but there was something about him that reminded me of that. Only he was smaller than uh, Mel Smith. Really? What could you fit him in? Just to give us an idea. Uh, you could fit him in a... Uh... I don't know, I'm looking around your room for some sort of... You could definitely fit him in this room. You could probably fit about 50 of them in this room. Wow. But they'd be crammed up really close yeah. to each other. I mean this area, not the whole room, because yeah. it's open plan. Okay. 
Um, you could, if you took all the shelves out of that cabinet... That's a Billy bookcase we're looking at here. Yeah. One of the narrow ones. Maybe if he scrunched his shoulders in, he'd probably uh-huh. fit in there, and then you could fit another one of him on top. All right, so he's about three foot tall. <laughs> no. No. Four? No, that's wrong. Maybe my sense of... Is he about the same size as you? Because you're quite hobbity, aren't you? I th- I think he might be about the same size as me. I yeah. hesitate to say hobbity. I wouldn't say that Dave McKean is hobbity. Could you see his feet? No. So you cannot confirm... This sounds like a trap. ...whether he was or what. It's a trap! Back to Admiral Everything goes back to Admiral All roads lead back to Admiral It It was amazing listening to him. I've been really lucky... Uh, or maybe I'm just really open to hearing like crazy ideas that make perfect sense to me yeah but we're, we're doing the special mini episodes of mm. the uh, we have issues the other podcast we do and hearing um hearing akira the don's particular slant on language and then hearing slice talking about uh comics being scalar and yeah. and stuff like that scaling up and down and then hearing dave mckean talk about how he as much as he loves working with neil gaiman he feels that he thinks that the the way round they tell stories, they yeah. look at fantasy and reality, is he thinks that looking at Neil Gaiman's work, that um, the normal bits, the the real resonating yeah. bits, mundane bits in Neil Gaiman's work, uh-huh. are there to deliver the fantasy. The fantasy is what it's about. Sure. Whereas Dave McKean is much more interested in looking at the real world okay. and finding fantastical elements in it i'm doing lots of stuff with my hands and i'm noticing your hands you're following me yeah um and i i guess i hadn't really thought of it before but that's kind of i think that's why i really like dave mckean's work and i found that as i get older neil gaiman's work kind of leaves me behind a little bit sure because i'm more interested in people finding weird little things about real life rather than a normal person suddenly finding a, a, a whole world that exists under ours and, and then sure. going off and fighting fairies and stuff like that. Um, I guess, though, it's the sort of person that you are, isn't it? Because I, I had a bit of a, a weird moment with a friend who's more inclined towards the mystical. Mm-hmm. We're very like-minded in terms of the way that we interpret life the universe pretty much everything except i have a very sort of i believe in sort of kind of matter of fact provable Mm -hmm. scientific view of the universe which kind of converges with where she comes from Mm -hmm. but she has this mystical she believes in in energies and she was she was telling me about you know being able to see people's auras stuff that i kind of don't believe in Mm. i can't prove it's not true but i instinctively because she was talking about people who've been able to photograph auras and so forth. I didn't go on to challenge her, although maybe... Well, because why would you? It well, makes I, her happy. Actually, because of, of where I am in terms of my mental health at the moment, I was actually very snippy and quite rude to her, which yeah. I had to apologise for later on. But I don't believe in it because, well, if it was true, could it not be reproduced in laboratory conditions in a certain, as far as I'm aware, it hasn't. Mm. Although I always find people who believe in these things go, no, no, that's what they want you to think. But this person's done it. This one maverick's done it. These hundred, it's, it's a bit like someone was talking the other day about the climate change debate. Yeah. And you have hundreds of scientists who believe one thing in terms of climate, but because of the way debate works in this country, you'll have one representative of the vast majority 
and one representative of a really, really small minority arguing. You're the talking other about balanced arguments in yeah. journalism and yeah. how that's seen as balanced. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, Whereas you should have what four or five people from the scientific community and who, half a person from and, the and other side. Maybe, um, maybe yeah, the child of a person who doesn't doesn't believe it. Once once you get once you get into hard hard science. Like like properly scientifically yeah. provable stuff, yeah. like climate change and and stuff like that, it, it it kind of skews skews my feelings on this. But I think maybe, and I'm literally just thinking this on the fly. Uh, the thing I've kind of I feel about atheists and also about this whole like modern atheists and um, this whole uh, battle between people who think of themselves as rationalists and yeah. people who don't um is i think maybe there's a there's a middle point where there's a middle point where intellectual exploration reaches uh scientifically provable stuff yeah. and kind of stops there um and under that people think all kinds of crazy things because they're too dumb mm. not dumb they're too flaky or whatever to make it all the way to objective scientific truth but then there's a there's a level above objective scientific truth mm. where like you go beyond that. Well, but it's just nonsense. Why would people believe this nonsense? Are you talking like quantum and theoretical physics that no. sort of thing? Because that no, no, that's no. all speculation and yeah. Well, well, but but actually, kind of that that like um, there's you get to a point where there are people who believe. Well, if you can't prove something, then what's the point of it? Like then it doesn't exist, and sure. anyone who believes it is an idiot. Mm. And then there's another point beyond that where it's like, well, but if you can't disprove something, then why would you yeah. stop people? What is, unless people are actually hurting someone in the yeah. name of what they believe, what's actually wrong with them believing it? And, mm. and what if, and I don't know if I've said this on a podcast before, but what if the ability to imagine stuff mm. that doesn't exist is what actually makes us different from animals. And you, I think you're onto something, because one of the things that worries me most about... And the reason that I had to go back to my friend and I had to apologise to her is because I think what drives my... I, I like things, although I, I get in a little bit of trouble, because obviously I don't know enough about um, enough about the subject to be definitive in terms of, you know, it's just that scientific way of thinking kind of informs my my world view but only in so much as i watch a couple of brian cox documentaries and carl sagan's cosmos take what i like from there go yeah that'd do me that that mm. that keeps me from having the having the screaming abdabs at night i'm quite comfortable with that but i don't i don't go into it but i'm actually jealous of my friend who has this slightly more open attitude towards a slightly more mystical hmm. I, I don't even know if that's the right way of putting it but you know she believes that you know you know potentially there are other energies that drive us that we don't know about mm. i wish i had that sort of faith and belief that i could open myself up and accept that that might be the case rather than i just want to live in my very closed worlds of facts as i perceive them and, and you know, like i say i'm not even in 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 possession of all the bloody facts yeah, anyway but i mean you found your level and it Makes yeah. you happy. That's basically a religious. Yeah, but it makes for quite a narrow worldview if I'm not careful. I, I think that's interesting because uh, you said that she believes in these energies. Yeah. Uh, that and actually, science. I can't remember what it's called now, so I feel a bit stupid 
science has those things. It's got like the yeah. god particle yeah. that we assume exists because yeah. there's so there's and a dark, space. It, dark, yeah, dark, dark matter. matter as well. It must exist because there's this whole area that we don't understand. Yeah. So there must be yeah. something there. And I think actual like true scientists, yeah. well, not true scientists because that's you know that's a, a bullshit metric. And it's but, not for you to decide. And it's not for me to decide. Right. But I think like at its core, yeah. Science is quite open-minded yeah. about stuff. It's a very, it's a very specific reading of. It's a very specific reading of science that says if you can't yeah. prove something, then it doesn't exist. You know, science is the whole way that we end up proving yeah. things is because someone believes that it must exist. Yeah. Because there's this area that doesn't. You know, there are lots of accidents. Like we do, we discover what is it, um, antibiotics or whatever. By there are lots of things that we've discovered. Leaving by accident. cheese out. Yeah, cheese again. <gasps> Probably cheese. Um, there, there are lot. There are lots of things we discover by accident. But at the same time, a, a lot of it is two or three scientists believing something that no one else in the yeah. scientific community believes, and spending like ten or fifteen or twenty years of their life. Trying to trying to find it, and yeah. do you know what I mean? It's but I, I think I think without faith, there, and there and there's the divergence, though, but because obviously those scientists have spent years trying to prove it, and then open it up to a peer community to review yeah. it. Whereas if uh, someone believes something as an article of faith, well, it doesn't need to be peer reviewed because I believe yeah. it into yeah. my faith. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But I I worry about how quickly I I I, I write something. Offers mystical new age bollocks. I don't want to wear it. Cause it's and like, yet the stuff you repeat from Cosmos, but but stripped so of context, sounds. Yeah, but but it's not. But it, no, it, no. it but it but it. It's, that's why I say we're, we're kind of from the same place. You know, Brian Cox in his, his latest series talks about you know we all come from the same thing at the very beginning of time. The Big Bang. There was you know a singularity. There was not a singularity. That's a black hole. But there was a single entity a single thing that exploded and, and turned into all of us stuff like that i kind of find i i, I kind of like the hook to that i find that mm. quite settling and calming but you're right stripped to the context it's it's wishy-washy new age bullshit well, it's, really. a, it's a creation it's a it's a creation myth yes Re- i mean it's yeah. one one central point from yeah. which everything comes you can sort of see but, but um, then actually sorry cox and sagan i i suspect others do it Seem to like gravitating back to Hinduism mm. because uh, Hinduism obviously has the concept of a, a, a constant wheel of existence, you know, sort yeah. of uh, a bit like um, Battlestar Galactica. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of a lot of this sort of New Age mysticism seems to come from, you know, things like Buddhism and Hinduism and so forth. So it's it's two sides of exactly the same coin, isn't it? it yeah, I mean, I think that the thing I keep coming back to and the reason one of the reasons I have so much trouble with people like um, Richard Dawkins the really outspoken atheist is I think that the thing they think that the thing that separates us from all of the other creatures is our ability to rationalise yeah but I think the one thing we've done that none of the yeah. animals have done is in that we know we've done that none yeah. of the animals have done is we invented God. Yeah, we were we are we are capable of imagining things yeah. that don't exist. Yeah. Whereas, um, I, I I don't know I maybe don't know enough about animals 
but like oh, I don't know. The other day you were talking about them as though they were far superior. <laughs> that is not beings. what I said. I I had you down in my in my very small group of friends as the go to man. Uh, for animal matters, <laughs> you're you're very much like the Johnny Morris or Terry Nutkins of my circle of uh, Not close Steve friends. Irwin. No, because I hope you never get stabbed through the heart by a uh, a big fish. Um, but uh, do, do, like animals are capable of of mental illness, really. Mainly the domestic ones when they spend a bit of time around yeah, us. Yeah, animals they, that spend an awful lot of time. They, with they humans, spend. Yeah. They spend it, but but actually. Most of the things a dog does, yeah, you can see come from a rational, from the dog's perspective, or yeah. from a rational thing. They've done something before. Yeah. It gets certain results. They get stuck. Yeah. Like my the older of my two dogs, I, she used to get my leftovers when I finished a meal. When it was just yeah. her and me, she used to get my leftovers. So, despite the fact that, that hasn't happened for ten years, yeah. she still tries to hang around near yeah. the dinner table. But then. You know, every now and then someone will drop something on the floor and she'll get some food. Yeah. There is a, there, there is a, there's normally, you can see the core of uh, yeah. cause and effect, an understanding of cause and effect sure. at, at the at the bottom of what most animals do. Yeah. They come to you for comfort when they want comfort. They yeah. come to you and do things yeah. when, like, do things to get you to feed them and stuff like that. I think the, the, different, the difference is between us and animals, of course, though, is we have the ability to eventually, if we have a, a big enough sample of evidence, to so say it happens once, but yeah. then we sit at a table and wait another ten times and it doesn't happen, we're assumed that it doesn't happen very often, probably won't waste our yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, they're like gamblers. They're a bit like, um, they're a bit like those people in Las Vegas who or in casinos who go straight to the slots and just yeah. keep keep doing the slots on the off chance. But then that might just be... I don't think dogs in the wild spend yeah. that much time waiting around for a potential food yeah. source that doesn't deliver. You know, I don't know if wolves really do that. No, they, 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 they're busy hunting all the yeah. time. Because they know that gets the, uh, that, that gets the effects they yeah. need. Because they've evolved to the point where they are the best possible version that we've got at the moment. I think this is a really diff- difficult, difficult area because obviously wolves are driven by instinct rather than yeah. by making rational decisions necessarily about why they want to, but that, to go hunting they're able to organize and mm. i think you look at the way the way they hunt mm. potentially there's learned behaviors there but but, but the, the the desire to hunt is is instinctive i think it's genetically hardwired into them oh sure okay but at the same time at the same time instincts are kind of um a lot of the time instincts are based on yeah, based on experience that you haven't, that you don't intellectualize. Here's a weird one. It, 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 um, there was a really good uh, documentary recently about cats on the BBC, and they're talking about cats and how they communicate. And it's very interesting. Found out when they've got their tail up, that was generally if they're in a uh, group of of cats, that's how they greet each other. Um, but they're solid. There's anyway. That, that's it. Uh, immaterial. What's going to talk about there? Let's leave it there. Let's park it. Let's move on. Okay. Um, meowing. Yeah. Cats don't meow to each other. They never meow to each other. The only time a cat meows when not influenced by humans is when it's with its mother. But cats have learned over the years to meow at humans to indicate they want something. Yeah. But it, it's kind of cats aren't haven't had enough time being domesticated. To It's weird how that's become hardwired into mm. cats. I was sort of thinking, is is it because they're not truly domestic in the way that dogs are domestic? 
So do they all have to learn that meowing works with humans, or is well, that... But if they did, I think they'd learn it very quickly, like yeah. in the first few days. And of course because... they're still infants when you... Well, and we infantilise them a yeah. certain amount as well, don't we? Yeah. So they meow at their mother to get yeah. food and, and stuff yeah. like that, and then they keep meowing at us yeah. to get what they want. If that doesn't work, um, then uh, they try and trip you up and break your fucking neck. That happens too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe I don't know enough about animals to say this. My cat loves getting under my feet. He hates me so much. I <laughs> I do think he's the only other man in the house. He's probably vying for yes. dominance. Um, I, sorry. But I do. But I think instinct, most of the time when we talk about instinct, yeah. it's sublimated experience, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. experience that we aren't quite... It's kind of experience and how we believe things are supposed to yeah. be kind of uh, played through each other so I'll have a bad I'll get a bad feeling from someone yeah but um, it's normally because they remind me of a whole bunch of other people who I've had bad experiences with in the past oh, or something like that oh so that's what drives people like Nigel Farage maybe probably yeah yeah maybe I don't know or with him it might be upbringing I uh yesterday on Twitter uh, Peter Serafinitz compared him to Admiral Akbar but it I all remember. comes back to Admiral Akbar. You forced that one a little bit, though. I no, think. not I don't think so. Farage, Farage came back naturally. I, I think that I, I, that was perfectly uh, natural. I, uh, I need more tissue. I'm sorry. I've, I've soaked the hell out of this one. I need to get another one. I need to dab up my nose, Nick. J- James is a. Uh, I feel like the dude from the old Lockett's ad there. J- James is uh, just going to go get some tissues and. Uh, and uh, make me a, make me a drink. Apparently, he's going to do it as loudly as possible. So this is a this is a good time for me, I think, to just uh, point out that I've I've really had quite a bad headache for, and my ear feels a bit funny. Uh, so my balance isn't quite right, and and that's been the case for the uh, the entirety of of this episode so far. So I'm not entirely sure, listener, if anything I've said has made any fucking sense at all and James I could ask James but he's even less equipped to to tell me <laughs> tell me if I'm making any sense than, than than I am I don't know what you're talking about see see but he never does so so Why that's meaningless so listener uh, if you can send us an email telling us if this is the worst or best episode we've ever done that I, would be brilliant. I just assume that you take so much ownership for your um, opinions that you've obviously thought it out very I refuse to believe that you're ever spitballing. That's very kind of you to say, James. Yeah. So, uh, listener, if this is if if you could if you'd like to tell us that anything anything either one of us has said is nonsensical or amazing or yeah. mind blowing or stupid or oh my god, everyone else has been saying yeah. this for the last twenty years, um, you can do that by sending us an email at uh, it's two uh, gm podcast at gmail dot com. That's accurate. You can also talk to James or I on Twitter. I am Nick Sight, N-I-X-S-I-G-H-T. I'm James Mom, but I wouldn't bother. I'm really not there very much at the moment. You'll be back, though. Yeah, I hope so. And there is a, a Twitter account. I think it's TGM Pod. Yeah, go on. We don't use it a lot. We mainly no. use it to tell you about the episodes. Yeah. Um, you can uh, uh, listen to all of the past episodes and find the show notes for this episode and all of that stuff. Wait, so if it's if it's this is your first one, there's 
some other material for you to make a considered opinion. Yeah, exactly, a scientific opinion. Yeah, and maybe listen to other podcasts too, Benchmarkers Against Those as well. But mainly listen to us. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, twogrownmen.net. We've also got a Facebook page, <laughs> and I, I haven't been to Google Plus in a really long time. No. Uh, but we've got a Facebook page. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, probably just by searching for Two Grown Men. But I've got links to that on the site. You can subscribe to us at uh, iTunes or Stitcher. Who just got bought out by Deezer, whatever that is. I didn't know that. No, I got an email. Uh, and uh, we also post episodes on SoundCloud and in various other places. So wherever you like to listen, you can listen. Do engage with us, though. We literally don't know if what we're saying about any of the stuff we're saying it about is not... The only thing we can be certain about is when we're talking about our own children and experiences. Everything else is just nonsense. I'm not entirely convinced this is real life. It is real life. I'm I'm genuinely convinced that this is the fevered imaginings of George Lucas's... Dog. Offspring. (laughs) Mm. That wasn't me gearing up to finish. It was a good time for the admin. That was the admin, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so you've totally caught me out now. I thought we were gearing up the finish. Psychologically, I've wound down. Um, we haven't talked about our children at all. We are supposed to kind of try she's and talk about She's gone out. That's, that's what she's done this week. It's our first half term, which is... Exciting. Uh, it is. I didn't I didn't expect to, to be off work for it, but uh, I, I am. Uh, so um, I think we're going to try to take advantage of a little bit of time with her, which is very nice. Um, I think the the much put-off plan to go to the Natural History Museum is going to happen on, on Friday. With, in London? In in the London. Blimey. Mm. Yeah. Which, That's exciting. Yeah. I haven't been there and in years. Potentially terrifying. Uh, and, yeah, some heavy horses. I'm looking forward to it. It's hard to believe she's um, she's gone through a whole half a term at school, but the, the, the speed... The rapidity of her de- development is, is just makes my head spin at the moment. She's more articulate. She has seems to think more clearly. She's more devious. Yeah. Um. Certainly more willful. Um. But it, it's wonderful to sort, sort of watch this really sort of rapidly developing individual. Are you going to be going on the the tube? Probably. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. I think you're fine as long as you've got a. A really refined what happens if we get separated on the tube plan yeah um, and normally it's if you're on the platform just stay on the platform and mummy and daddy will come back for you well my my plan when I go to London with, with people like that is well, don't don't rush mm. if you don't rush you tend not to get separated yeah, it's true. when you get sucked into this mindset of you have to rush for everything if you do that that's when things go wrong so you just you stay calm and you know, if if the door looked like they're about to close, you just wait. There'll be another one in two minutes. There's no need to rush. No. And um, so you still really notice you still really notice development at her age, at yeah. Scarlett's age. Absolutely. Because at Noah's age, he's so small and can't really do anything on his. Well, he can do lots of things on his own now. But yeah. you notice every yeah. stage really, really clearly. One of the reasons I'm a bit zoned out today, uh, James and listener, is that. One of the things Noah has worked out he can do is uh, that at 2am in the morning, when I am... 2am in the morning. Yeah, as opposed to that 2am at I was explaining something that obviously is very self-evidently amusing. Um, failed really badly at it as well. Which my, is- my friend, um, one of my friends yesterday kept referring to Noah as a 
16-month-year-old. Brilliant. <laughs> which I just thought was brilliant. brilliant. Couldn't, and I pointed it out to him and he kept, he couldn't help it. He kept doing it. Yeah, I mean, last night he worked out that one of the new things he can do is at, at, at 2am, when I am sleeping in the same room as him because of my snoring, um, he can just start yelling yeah. for no real reason and then not stop when I pick him up. Do you so think, I'm feeling a bit zoned out. What do you think he's trying to communicate you while you're snoring loudly in his room in the middle of the night? I can't imagine. No. Uh, the <laughs> He loves it. He doesn't yeah. mind me snoring. I don't no. snore that bad. I've got medical proof that I don't snore that bad. Do you carry a certificate around with you? Do, uh, doctors, I believe you were you were there uh, uh, in the aftermath of it. Doctors yes. put me under yeah. for 15 minutes to try and force yeah. me to snore. And I, yeah. like with drugs, and I didn't snore. Yeah. So... Um, I don't snore. It's all a nonsense. So they tried you once for fifteen minutes. They're not very good scientists. These I think they doctors, put me. Re- I don't. I think they. I think they're strapped for time. I don't know. Yeah. Bring the snoring drugs out. I don't believe in snoring drugs. I think that's <laughs> that's new age bullshit. I'm not having it. Maybe you just. They maybe, probably sell it in that shop up the road. Maybe uh, maybe it isn't the Magic Earth one around the corner. Yeah. Actually, I know the owner. I shouldn't be nasty. Magic Earth is an excellent. For all of you new age needs, uh, Magic Earth on Shirley High Street in Southampton is the one-stop shop for all your crystal and joystick needs. I used to live just around the corner from it. I don't think you're allowed to tell people that she sells crystal meth out of there. I did. I didn't say. Yeah, no. There's an interesting. You've been seeing this controversy uh, with regards to the Breaking Bad toys that a mother in Florida uh, got a petition together to stop. Toys R Us selling Breaking Bad characters. And uh, who's the chap that isn't Brian Cranston in it? I want to say RuPaul, but that that's not it. Aaron Paul. That's it. Um, he, he is trying to get a counter uh, a petition together to uh, force Toys R Us to restock them, saying that uh, they sell Barbies, which are equally damaging. Admittedly, Barbies aren't accessorised with crystal meth. Yeah. Which is the Breaking... But he did also say, which because the Barbie the Barbie argument didn't really hold water for me, but he did mention, well, you sell video games. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they and, sell and, the, um, and toys with guns and stuff yeah, like that. Absolutely. And, um, so it's it, there. There is an element of my first instinctive knee jerk reaction to that was, well, obviously, toys from Breaking Bad, which is a very adult uh, uh, show, you know, when they've got guns and crystal meth with the characters is clearly wrong but then I didn't really think about the hypocrisy in video games and also weapons that they sell as well there's a I mean maybe it's maybe his argument is a bit broken unless the point he was trying to make is that they shouldn't be selling broken bad toys and they shouldn't be selling all of those other things I mean I I was also very suspicious because presumably he's going to be making some money from these so he's got quite a vested interest in them selling them I imagine because, uh, yeah, my I was going to speculate on his career, and I think that's that. Why would I do that? That's my ridiculous. my knee jerk reaction to that really is that that the problem is that Toys R Us market. It, it's not in the name yeah. of the store, yeah, but they push all of their marketing towards yeah. children. Yes, so there's nothing wrong with there being Breaking Bad toys yeah. that can be sold in places. Yeah. Where where adults can get them? Oh, like the um, there's a, a place up the road from where we're recording today called Adult Gift Shop. They could probably sell. Yeah, them they there. could sell them oh, in yeah. places like that, <clears throat> or in places like Forbidden Planet that aren't specifically geared yeah. towards children. 
Um, but yeah, any argument, any argument that includes Barbie yeah. and toy soldiers and stuff really just points out that those things aren't particularly great things right. to be in a toy, place. Toy soldiers to was yours, by the way, rather hmm? than I don't. I don't think toy soldiers were his. No, no, no. He they weren't. They they yeah, were mine. Sorry. Yeah, but the fact that there are toys with guns and stuff like that. I mean, I don't. I don't actually have a problem with toy guns necessarily. So, um, but. But there is an argument that they aren't a positive gun. It's they aren't. They are a representation of something that isn't a positive thing. So, a positive childlike thing, really. Well, guns. It's difficult, isn't it? You got one pointed at you or someone you love, or in fact anyone. Uh, they're a bad thing, but they look like they're an awful lot of fun to shoot. Yeah, and I mean to be honest, if all of the other kids, if like one kid has a toy gun, yeah, and. Uh, they are scaring all of yeah. the other kids. Yeah. Well, the only way the other kids... Basically, those other kids aren't going to be scared of that yeah. one kid with a toy gun if they've all got toy guns yeah. as well. So maybe the problem isn't, like, less toy guns. Maybe the problem... You know, maybe the solution isn't less toy guns. Maybe the solution is more toy guns. Yes. That's so we should, maybe, maybe we should have a 2GM campaign. Campaign for more toy yeah. guns. Yeah. Oh, and... Uh, over the last few weeks, I have alluded to a friend of uh, a friend and work colleague of mine having a baby or his wife having a baby. Yeah. A lot of those conversations have had to be cut because I have got uh, carried away and excitable. About and he threatened them. to see you, didn't he? No, no, he didn't. I preempted. He threatened to sue everyone, though. So I, I preempt. I preemptively removed that stuff. From well, you me. have to remove this though, because it, we're, will he be litigious about us claiming he's litigious? I don't know. It's wheels within wheels. It gets yeah, complicated it, yeah. at this point, and I don't really know what goes on in his head most of the time. No. But yeah, my uh, my friends Alex and Lou, we we went and saw their baby, um, their baby yesterday, and them. I mean, the baby yeah. wasn't there on on her own. She's about five weeks old. Uh-huh. She's very cute. Yeah, but it 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 made me kind of both excited and a little bit freaked out about the fact that uh, that we've got another baby on the way yeah. because um i guess i've i've spent a lot of time around very small babies in yeah. the last couple of years yeah but more recently i've spent a lot of time yeah. around one-year-olds and two-year-olds yeah. and, and four-year-olds and stuff yeah. and seeing a five-week-old baby yeah. and how tiny and fragile and effectively useless they are yeah. at that point was kind of it's when you see one, it's really yeah. difficult to imagine your baby was ever that size. Have you, um, have you maxed out and now you're regretting having another child? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 not not at all. No, I can see how you might infer that from what I said or yeah. imply that. I don't know. No, but they are really small. And I kept looking at Noah kept coming over to uh, to see what was going on. He didn't get jealous of Amy holding the baby, which was quite good. But he kept coming over to see what was going on. And I was looking at him and looking at the baby yeah. and thinking... How were you ever that size? He's I, only like he's only a sixteen month old. We had um, or we had, fourteen month old. We had friends over last night of a baby. Pretty much, I think, like a week or so difference between between them and Noah. And um, he was uh, feeding her just before they brought a travel cot, and uh, they put her down in the travel cot mm-hmm. um, when it was her sleepy, sleepy bedtime. And he was feeding her. I was looking at him feeding her, thinking, "Shit, I used to have to do that." And it seems like a, a lifetime ago. Scarlet is so sort of independent. It just seems a, a world away. It's sort of. It is really. It's really weird. Mm. And I mean, Noah's not fully independent yet, but like 
I can check him in the air and he goes on the swings and loves yeah. it and we were playing yeah. on the slide and stuff yeah. like that and um and he looks like a little boy now yeah. which is really weird like when he stood up he looks quite yeah. tall so I mean compared to me I am quite he is taller than you already which is remarkable it is pretty impressive yeah. but that might be that I'm shrinking because he's taking my life force probably I mean he is going to grow up and kill you so yeah but that's don't metaphorically all, all, all metaphorically, sons do that yeah. yeah um I don't think we've got enough time to talk about no we have the no. thing sorry yeah. But we can. Uh, James had uh, an article that he wanted to talk about. We will probably try and talk about that next week. I should probably reread it because I'm not very good at concentrating at the moment, and uh, I do. I, do, I, do, I, do. I haven't read it yet. No, it's good. So, uh, as a result, though, his teaser. As a result, I've started referring to Scarlet's vagina. Oh, okay then. I think is that as good? Spoilers. A, uh, is that? I think that's as good a point. Uh, I think Scarlet's vagina is probably as good a point as any. I think saying vagina on this podcast is the Godwin's law of this. Yeah, of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> when James said the Godwin's law, yeah. he did a little tiny... Involuntary Hitler salute. salute. <laughs> Which was funny. Because um, Hitler's hilarious. He had his moments, didn't he? Yeah. He was great in um, uh, the, the, dicta- the Dictator. I like it when he's hanging off the clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like and when that the, too. the building falls down... And, and yeah. there's a win, one window, yeah. and he's just stood there in the one window. And he's in that car, and all the panels and wheels fall off, and he's, he's <laughs> left there just holding a steering wheel. The thing, uh, the thing that people don't know about uh, yeah. the, the the thing where Hitler, the front of the house, falls yeah. down, and Hitler's left there with yeah. the window, is they got through like seven Hitlers. Yeah, doing that. Yeah, imagine how bad the first seven uh, seven were. Pr- pretty bad. Not as good as the Hitler we were left with, no. obviously. Uh, yeah. So should we go? Yeah, go on then. Uh, do you have any plans for the rest of your day? Yeah, I'm going to carry on playing Total War and try and try to forget. I think we're going. <laughs> I think we're going trying to forget what I I, I forget. <laughs> I I think we're going swimming this afternoon. So Lovely. that should be nice. Yeah. It's getting a bit cold though. Have you noticed? It's fresh. Yeah. But I, I sat outside at six o'clock this morning in a t-shirt. Felt fine. Very mild morning, but that's not that interesting. As opposed to the previous hour. (laughs) Shall we go, James? Okay. Bye-bye. I've got a factoid about the Bobbington Tank Museum. No, it's a factoid. This is your factoid Um, episode. Lawrence of Arabia lived in that area towards the end of his life. And there's a corner. As you turn down, you either carry on straight... Um, straight along for uh, Monkey World or the village called Wool, mm-hmm. which is just after it, or you turn right to Bovington Tank Museum. On that corner of the right turn is where Lawrence of Arabia died. Oh, in a motorcycle just... in a motorcycle accident. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. I didn't realise he lived around there. Yeah.